Uh, today is a Sunday where across our nation we celebrate uh, and pray for uh, others to join us in believing in the sanctity of life. And the, um, it's an awful thing in our country, the amount of abortions that happen and the uh, way we treat uh, life. It's awful. It's awful. And for us as a country, we mark it. Uh, so some people mark it as progress, that we've made so much progress. And uh, I just want to pray for our country right now. I want to pray that God would uh, grant us both a resolve in our own churches, <clears throat> that we would treasure the little ones, and that we would have places for people who have made poor choices, uh, either before or after, uh, that we would embrace them in grace all of us have needed grace. All of us. And different situation, different time, we would make similar decisions. And so uh, we want to be a church of grace and mercy, extending a hand. And uh, as that happens, that it would change our country, uh, that we would, that God would do a work in uh, the politicians, that they would remove things, uh, that awful laws that allow such things. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, you know what goes on. Uh, you know the wickedness of our country. You know the wickedness that goes on every day. And Lord, uh, we pray uh, that you would first settle in our own hearts and minds, that you are the creator of life, that we would be very careful as we look upon uh, medicine and medical procedures in any way, shape, or form, that we would ask the question, God, what do you want to do? What is your plan? What is your desire? And grant you the place that only you should have as a, a God overall. God, we do pray for our country. We ask that uh, there would be uh, a movement that would go to abolish abortion. God, we realize that there are many complicated issues, but the most important one is that what is life? And God, we know that you are the one who decides that, not man. God, we ask for your uh, blessing in our country. Uh, we ask that you would turn us away from such wickedness into the truth. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm going to uh, seek this morning to not uh, become political. Um, and so could you join me on that? Can you join me in your own hearts? Uh, some of you are going to run really quick on this passage. You are going to take off on me. I know it. Um, but what a great passage we get to um, look at this morning. So if you can picture with me, many this happens everywhere. Uh, it might happen after church today. Some of you might go out for lunch, two or three couples. And, and, and it'll come to that time where the waitress comes and she brings the check. And uh, then there's the scuffle, right? There's the scuffle of who's going to pay. And uh, uh, some of you have like a, 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 a great first quarter, but you just kind of peter out when, it, you know, in the end of the game on that one. You're like, no, I'll pay. And someone says, no, I'll pay. Okay. Uh, uh, and you go, you know, if you start out strong, in the end, you'll win, right? Uh, but uh, uh, th there's that scuffle of who's going to pay? Who's going to pay? And 
The idea of paying for a meal or a cup of coffee or whatever, it's a small thing, right? It's not, uh, you know, it's not paying for someone's house or, or someone's car. It's a small thing, and we decide who, and it's a gracious thing. It's a kind thing. It's a generous thing. It's a gift. And so we decide who's going to pay, and finally, and the thank you, and this and that. And, uh, but that whole conversation of who's going to pay is really a question of who's going to work for this. Who's going to have done what needs to be done so that they could get some money so that they could pay for something very basic, uh, a meal, a cup of coffee. Um, the, this is the connection this morning. And this morning, we are going to look at such a simple thing as a meal. And as we look at um, this passage this morning, you just need to remember this, that Paul has already shared about the end of this world. He's already shared about the end of this world, not just the end of this world, but the plan of God unfolding. And the, the plan of God in the end through uh, various uh, events is to separate those who are his and those who are not, taking those who are his home to be with him forever and those who are not to be punished uh, along with those uh, angels that have disobeyed and rebelled. And so uh, he shares with this and for confidence uh, for the people in the plan of God. And now uh, we look at uh, Paul tackling one of the most practical, basic issues of life, that of work. And so this morning, as we look at God's word, uh, we'll just trust that he will guide our steps. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you starting at verse six. God's word says this. Now, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but uh, to give uh, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we, we would not give you this command. It, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. We hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do work quietly and to earn their own living. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would correct our own thinking. God, we ask that you would help us to have uh, the mind of Christ, not the mind of this world. That you would not allow us to just be like everyone else, but that you would do that transforming work in our heart. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Uh, the title of this message uh, could be, it wasn't because I thought of something else uh, earlier in the week when uh, we printed the bulletins, but it could be how to be and live as rich, how to be and live as rich. Uh, it's it's just the basic things of eating and working, right? It's it's that. But but how does being rich, uh, how does that affect uh, how we live? And when I say rich, I'm talking about the riches of heaven. I'm talking about the riches of forgiveness. We, we, we've sung about that. Grace that is greater than all my sin. All of it. And so there's a riches that we have in Christ that creates this great freedom and relief that says, I don't have to worry about anything. It's taken care of. And Paul wants to talk to them about what it is to live as a rich person. How do you work being rich? And this morning, hopefully, this will be instructive to all of us as we look at this. In verse 6, it, he uh, begins this speaking of that this is a command, that they are commanding them. Uh, and that this command, as in all of Scripture, it's not just a command of man, but it's based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, that because of what Christ has done, uh, your work is now different. Your, your life is now different. It's changing because of, because of what Jesus has done for you. And this morning I have three points, the wrong way to live, the right way to live, and God's way to live, okay? And so uh, as we look at this, we start off in middle of verse 6, the wrong way to live. As you look at this, he's speaking of what is most likely happening in their midst. Um, and he says that he warns them to keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that they received from us or from them, Paul and Silas. And so he, he warns them about keeping away from those who are walking in idleness, who are, aren't following. Uh, it's interesting, if you could flip back a few pages to 1 Thessalonians. Um, once you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, okay? 4 verse 11. And look at this. Look at this. It says this. Uh, and we talked about this a few months ago, probably in October or so. Uh, we looked at this very passage and it says, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you uh, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He says, work, uh, work quietly. And then you flip over the page to chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, verse 14 says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. Uh, he talks about work in chapter 4, and then he warns them to admonish or to rebuke or to set straight those who are idle. So if you can follow... Uh, Paul's thinking or the, the words of Paul coming from God, okay? In chapter 4, he speaks of work in the first letter. In chapter 5, he, he says, warn those who are idle. And now we go to the second letter and he's taking a larger section and he says, 
I want to talk about this again. Why do, why do people talk, repeat themselves? Some of you are saying, well, it might, might be an age thing. But anyway, so, um, a lot of times, uh, it's not just an age thing. You get a really good speech, and you just want to say it over and over and over again. Uh, and uh, th- the reason you do this with your kids is what? You know, they, they hate hearing the repetition, right? Um, I, I kind of do this annoying thing with my kids. They're not here today, so I can talk about this. So, um, the, I'll, I'll ask them to do something. I say, hey, can you get that for me? And they're like, yeah, I got it. And then uh, like 15, 20 minutes later, I see that it's not that. And I, and I act like I didn't say it the first time. I say, hey, could you go get that for me? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. Now, I'll say it again. I'll act like I, I never said it. I act like I'm losing my mind, but they're just being like, I want to make the point that, you know, hey, I wouldn't have said this, but you didn't listen the first couple of times. Maybe I didn't say it. You know, maybe it's my. Um, Paul comes back to this issue. And in God's word, I want to tell you this, uh, that as we see this repetition, we can assume that this was a problem in Thessalonica. And, and w- w- what the problem is, it's a problem of work or of eating, okay? And I look at those things, and two of the most basic things of life. And if you can picture that, that city of Thessalonica before the gospel came in, you, you know what I bet you they did before the gospel came to that city, to those people that they've been changed? I bet you they ate food. And I bet you they worked. I bet you they had jobs and they they went about those things, those very basic things. And now Paul is redirecting them. He's saying, look, I want to talk to you about how this even changes the way you eat and work. And I want to come back to this because I don't think you got it the first time. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see this idea of working and idleness, okay? In verse 6, he calls them to keep away from any brother uh, who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition they receive from there. First of all, I want to want you to get this. That's that word walking, right? That's that word walking. If you're looking for uh, another word to insert there to help you understand what it means, living, living. But I love the picture that Paul uses, and he uses it over and over again in the New Testament, of walking. It's that idea of making the progress of life. It's the idea of following the plan of God, the road, if you will. He's picturing them walking, doing this very simple thing. He says, this is a course of one's life. It's interesting. Uh, We need to uh, stay on the path, right? We need to make progress. We don't need to sit down, right? You don't make any progress on the trip when you're sitting down. And so Paul uses this word walking, and he says, as you think about this, I want you to be um, keep away from anyone or any brother who is walking in idleness. You know what? Uh, the, the reason He uses this word brother, which implies this, that even a believer, this is not, he's not worried about the unbeliever. The unbelievers are going to have to do this eating and working thing on their own. They're going to have to figure it out, okay? 
They don't have the benefit of being free in Christ. They don't have that. But he's saying there might be even brothers in your midst that are struggling with this sin. And he says, I, I want you to know this, that be careful the way you treat them. And there's a there's a specific thing that he wants them to do. As he looks at as we look at this, we realize that he expands on what he had taught in chat. Um, First Thessalonians, and now he's more direct. He's more direct in what he wants them to do. He says, first of all, uh, brothers who are walking in idleness. That word idleness is the idea of getting out of ranks. It's a it's a military picture. It's the idea of marching, if you will, and uh, it's the idea of you're all marching in one direction as the church. That everyone's in their place and they're going along. They're not accomplishing grand things but they're going they're making progress together and yet there's one or a handful or someone who in idleness has broken ranks who is not in step with the others and the picture here is that he is one that is uh, out of ranks but not just out of ranks neglecting their own labors neglecting their own role you can imagine uh, the riches that are found, and, and some of you have just found these recently, the riches found in the body of Christ. What a great picture. Uh, some of the words of the New Testament, you know, are words like household, brought into the household of faith. Uh, some even greater terms that some of you know well, adoption, adoption as sons, and not just as sons, but heirs. And you hear these words and you realize the riches that are found in Christ. You realize that you've been brought into this incredible thing of riches. And so uh, sometimes riches cause us uh, to say, oh, I don't have to do anything. Somebody else will get it. You know, I don't have to be in my spot. I don't have to be working with the team. I, somebody else will get that. I think it's interesting that uh, we do that and, you know, they talk about this in sociology and political science as well, that the larger the group, the less people feel compelled to participate. Uh, they hear something or they see something and maybe even around here, you, you look and you say, well, somebody should take care of that. Somebody should take care of that. Uh, I do this at the house all the time. I, I look at our house and I go, somebody should fix that. Isn't there somebody around here that can fix that? Shouldn't there be like some handyman or some, like somebody who can fix something? Some do Oh, yeah, that's supposed to be me. Uh, you realize that uh, the larger the group, you can say, oh, somebody else will get it. And so now these ones have come into this family where we share where we live for others. And their response to that is idleness. Uh, this, in secular writings, this word uh, was used of an apprentice that failed to show up for work. Failed to show up for work. They, they had a spot, they had a duty, they had a role. They failed to show up for work. Uh, it's the idea of not just being late or doing this once, but it's the persistent practice. 
It's the character of their life. It's the thing that they do. They're always not showing up. They're showing themselves more than not to be sitting down. They're, they're showing themselves as we look at their lines and their places. We look for them. There's, there's missing whole most of the time. It's a persistent practice. Uh, they were the ones being this. Uh, they were the ones doing this. This is what marked them. And what he shares with them is this. He says, keep away. Keep away from them. And really, um, the idea of keeping away is a, a, a picture of church discipline, of saying, hey, you, if you're going to live like this, you are outside of the fellowship. You don't get the benefits of being inside. And the, that's twofold, isn't it? It's for them to feel once again like they're on the outside and go, oh, I don't want to be out there again. It's bad for me. By the way, by the way, it's bad for us to be outside of the fellowship of God. Think about that. Sometimes we, uh, we think of it the other way around. You say, you know, I'm going to grace, uh, grace them with my presence this morning at Bear Valley Church. You know, they're going to be real happy I showed up. I want to tell you, this is very important. It's important for me to be with you. It's important for us to bump into each other. It's important for us to care for one another. This is safety for us right here. I want to tell you out there, good luck to you. Good luck to you. It's once again acting as you have no family when you do. And so for us as believers, the place for us to be is in fellowship with one another. But he says this, if you walk in idleness, if you, if you walk in idleness, uh, leave them out there. Leave them out there. Why? Because it's good for them and, and it's dangerous for us. By the way, what are they doing in idleness? And we'll kind of get to this towards the end of our message this morning. But if you look down um, to verse uh, 11, 11, it says, For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Okay, the picture there is this. What were they doing? It's not just simply that they weren't working. That's an annoyance in and of itself. That ruins the team atmosphere in and of itself. If you have a job to do and you're in partnership with somebody else and the other person doesn't show up, it just doubles your workload, right? But the picture here is not just simply that they didn't show up for work, but they didn't work, but they were busybodies, that they were uh, drawing others away and stirring up trouble. Like, have you ever been around people where you're trying to get something done, but they're chattering? <laughs> they're chattering, and they're not working, and it's hard to get work done when they're there because they want you to sit down. They want to draw you away. And that was the picture here in the work of God. This idleness wasn't just simply idleness, but it wasn't that they were busy at work, but they were busy bodies. They were ones who were chattering about things that weren't their own. They were distracting to the accomplishments of God. He says, keep away. It's a picture of withholding fellowship uh, to separate yourself. I want to be careful. I want to be that ca careful, but not that careful, okay, by the way. Um, how does Facebook fit into this? Think about it. What are you doing? 
How is this a benefit? What are you accomplishing? Well, you know, are you engaging in conversation? Are you helping people do their work? Are you helping people stay focused on what God's called them to do? Think about these things. Very important. I, I realized that, uh, you know, they were concerned about Facebook and church at Thessalonica. But it did say the word busybodies in the passage, didn't it? And so I, I want to just encourage you, think that through. How, how does a Christian, how does a Christian, how do God's people, how do the redeemed, the ones who have been drawn out, how does this fit in? to working and eating and Facebooking, okay? Maybe that would be a good title, eating, working, Facebooking. Okay, anyways, uh, so there's a wrong way to live, the wrong way to live in idleness, and idleness is God's people, the idea of uh, falling out of your position, of set, like forgetting to do your work, of drawing others away, wrong way. The right way, you come to verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us and and Paul says this idea of imitate, imitate, imitate. It's the idea that they came with a picture of what it is to be a Christian worker. And, and they came with the purpose knowing that they'd never seen it before. They'd never seen it before. They, that these missionaries came and as they shared the gospel, they accepted the gospel. And they didn't have a picture of what a Christian man or a Christian woman is supposed to look like. And so Paul says, let me give you a picture of it. Let me, let me show you how this goes. Uh, they were not idle when they were with them. They, were, uh, they didn't, weren't ones that failed in their, their duties. In fact, uh, it says this in verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, uh, but, but with toil and labor we worked night and day. So this is a picture of the missionaries that came into Thessalonica. They said this. They said, when you sat down for a meal and the check came, they said, we'll pay for ours. We'll pay for ours. Sometimes as a pastor or a missionary, uh, there's this funny thing about that, right? You just kind of sit there and you go, well, I'm a poor pastor. I eat a lot, but I'm a poor pastor, you know, uh, and uh, or the missionary, I'll, I'll let you pay because you you have the fat stacks, right? You have the ones who are making the big, big amounts of money. You have the real jobs. And so I'll let you pay. OK. And Paul says uh, his picture is not that he didn't deserve for them to pay because he was granting them something that was of infinite worth. Right. But he was saying, no, I'll pay. I'll pay for my own. because I want you to see it. I want you to see it. In fact, he says they work night and day. It's not that the idea that they never sleep. It's the idea that they work these kinds of days, that they were doing ministry, but they were also working to take care of themselves. Why? Because that's the way it needed to be done, right? Because it's a simple thing where, oh, I want to eat, so I probably should work. Because working grants money so that I can eat and take care of the, the basic necessities of life. And so the idea wasn't that they were working all the time, but when they needed to work, they did. Uh, sometimes that was during the day and sometimes that was at night. Why? For their food. In fact, they toil and labor. But the idea of toil and labor, Paul uses this term uh, over and over again in his writings. But the idea is... Uh, working to the point of exhaustion. Um, 
Have you ever worked, some, some of you uh, had jobs where you were on a computer or you spoke on the phone or anything, but there's a weariness to any kind of work. I talked to an accountant one time and he said, you know, at the end of the day, your eyes burn from looking at the screen. And, and you know, you see numbers that you're not sure they're right. and You, you start, you know, going over and over again. And there's a sense of weariness to the, to the construction worker. There's the knees and the back and the shoulder. And, and, and to any job, if we work hard, there's a sense of weariness to it. The problem is this, that there's, in our minds sometimes, there's an idea of if something hurts, don't do it again. Some of you are saying, well, if I did that, I wouldn't get out of bed, right? Just getting out of bed hurts. And, and I want to tell you, uh, sometimes that just proves you're alive, right, when it hurts. And there's this idea that God wants you to take another step and do what you can. And, and so the idea of quitting when something hurts uh, is the picture of, no, no, toil and labor. This is what this life is about is that we continue on even when it hurts. Why? Because this is what God's called us to do. And very simply, the idea of providing for our own food. This is what God wants us to do. This is the Christian uh, picture of what it means to know Christ when it comes to our work. Um, the, there was rights of a church planter that they should have been able to ask for food, but because Paul desired to show them what a Christian man was, they did it differently. If you look down at verse 9, it was not because we do not have the right to, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Very simple, isn't it? Very simple. If someone is not willing to work, let them not eat. There's a picture here. Proverbs speaks of this as well, that hunger is meant to drive you, to drive you to work. There's a, a satisfaction of working and then eating uh, from your labors. There's a sense of a satisfaction of a paycheck, even if it's small, to know that you worked for this and this is God's intention for you. Uh, be careful here. Um, Sometimes this is where we get into politics and other things. This is inside the church. This isn't about Rome, right? This isn't about Washington and Obamacare and tax cuts and, you know, entitlements. This isn't about all those things. It's about life in the church. And the picture of life in the church is that we've been changed by Christ. And how does that change the way we work and the way we eat? Okay. And so as we look around, and really, uh, I'd say it this way, as we uh, raise our kids, raise our kids, uh, the idea of them learning how to work and connecting that work with providing for their food. So, so at the end of the day, um, that, that, that meal that I talked about of arguing over the check, uh, the best price for most of us is free, right? It's free. I didn't have to pay anything. It was free. It was free. Like, like this is a free meal. And someone said there's no such thing as a free meal. Uh, there isn't. Somebody pays for it. Somebody pays for it. And for the Christian, it should bother them 
where that food came from. It should cause them to say, who has paid for this? Who has paid for this? And shouldn't I pay for this because I'm the one eating it? And for us uh, who are fathers and husbands, and the, the idea of this is what God has entrusted to me as my family. And so this is what I need to take care of. He imitated this. He showed them uh, and just gave them, if they're not willing to work, uh, they're not ready to eat either. And that, uh, and, and I want to tell you that we as a church here, we love to give generously, to give kindly, to help people out who are in need. But we will not. We will not support people. We will not support people long term. Because this is not God's intention for the Christian. The intention for the Christian is that they would work so that they might eat. That's a right way to live. And then it comes to verse 11, God's way to live. And really, God's way to correct this if you've got it wrong. Verse 11 says this, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. And not busy at work, but busy bodies. Do do you see all those funny words, connections there? Walk in idleness. They're that word walking, the picture of walking, but not walking, being still while walking. It's the idea of they're supposed to be living, but they're not living. I want to tell you, we're supposed to be living. And what that living is looking like is making progress, making progress. I want to tell you, sometimes it's hard to figure out. Sometimes it's hard to to know what to do next. I want to tell you, uh, figure out the next step and walk with the Lord. He will guide you. He lovingly provides for us. This isn't without the Lord. This is with the Lord that he provides. He also says, uh, you're not busy at work, but what are you busy at? Being a busy body. Uh, You're being busy at being a busy body. You're making a lot of smoke, but there's no fire. There's a lot of dust, but at the end of the day, there's no work to be done afterwards, right? There's no progress. And what you want to do is as you go to work, as you do things, you want to make progress as God has intended. Even though you're rich, even though you have a place in the family of God, even though you have riches in heaven that nothing on this earth can compare to, he wants us to be busy at work. Not as busy bodies. And then in verse 12, this is the cure. Now, such persons, we command and encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. To do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Let's talk about quiet first, okay? Um, we don't do anything quiet anymore. Do anything quiet. In fact, um, could you get a shot of me preaching right now? Can you get a shot so everyone knows how hard I worked? Uh, in fact, once you come by this week, I'll set all my books out on my desk and I'll, I'll put my, my cheap glasses on that I have and I'll look really, and I'll put that face on and then you can capture it and it'll look like I'm working. That's not quiet living, okay? I'm doing something awesome. Could you take a picture? Could you take a picture so everyone will know how awesome I am? Uh, maybe I should go call some people and tell people how much I've worked this week and just let them know, you know. Maybe they don't know. 
you know. And so if they don't know, I should tell them so that they can know how hard I No, quiet living. It's the idea that we blend into the crowd, even as the picture of idleness is the idea of being out of ranks. This is now taking ranks. You know, what's interesting, I, I went to a, a graduation of uh, down at the Marine Boot Camp down in San Diego, and uh, there was a particular young man that I knew. He was from a previous church, and we were going down there, and they started marching in, and and you know what? They all look the same. They all look the same. They're were, they were all wearing their hats kind of funny like that. You can barely see their eyes, and they all were wearing the same uniform, and we're going, oh, there's Tom. No, no, that's not him. There, no, he's taller than that. He's, you know, and we're going back and forth. Finally, finally, after staring, and they got a little bit closer, we could figure out who he was. But in the end, it just looked like one group. It's just like the, a group of soldiers. I want to tell you, that's what we are. And the idea of quiet living is that nobody ever knows. Nobody ever knows. Because we work as a family of God. And so he, he seeks for us. Uh, to have this idea that we quietly go about our business. We work quietly. And he says this, and to earn their own living, earn their own living. I want to tell you that what this looks like is that we are constantly seeking to provide for the family that God has given us, that we are going about our business. I want to tell you, if you ever have struggles, If things come up and things blow up in your family, you come to this church. We'll talk to you about that. We'll help you. We'll we'll provide for you in in moments. But I want to tell you, God's intention for you, don't be too proud either, okay? Don't be too proud. We're the family of God here, okay? But the idea here is that we would provide for our own family, that this would be the character of our life. There will be times where others jump in and others help, but the character of our life is that we would earn our own living. Three things for you as we close today. First one is this. Uh, Seek to take care of what God has placed before you, you and your family, you and your family. Seek to take care of that. That should be, I say seek because we're leaning that way. We're we're working that way. We're strategizing towards that, okay? I want to tell you, um, oh, I got to stop and tell you this. Uh, For those of you, for those of you who are raising kids, do not tell your kids to follow their dreams, okay? Their dreams are to slide down rainbows to pots of gold, okay? Their dreams are ridiculous. Their dreams are ridiculous. Say this, what do you think God wants you to be? How do you think God wants you to provide for your family? And if they come up with something, well, you know, I think about this, and you say, oh, you really, yeah, I really think God wants, is that a way to provide for your family? Can that, will that work? Put these thoughts in their head early, early, early. Um, If you don't, you can work them out in a lifetime, right? Uh, Sometimes at your house, right? Uh, uh, I'm really close to this, okay? I'm really close to this right now. Um, Anyways, seek, seek. Put that in your kids' heads early. What does God want them to do? How does God want to provide for their family? Secondly, seek to be motivated by the riches of Christ, 
not to use it for idleness. I want to tell you, as you see the riches that are found in Christ, may that free you to pursue hard work, hard work, knowing that God's got you taken care of. Not to say, because of the riches of Christ, I don't need to do anything. Everyone else will take care of me. Let it motivate you. And lastly, seek quiet work, not loud laziness. Not loud laziness. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, seek quiet work, places where you can make progress, that you can provide for your family, things that you can do, not loud self-promotion. Uh, you, you don't want to make it look like you're working. You want to actually work and make progress in providing for your family. Please join with me in prayer. God, thank you for this morning, uh, for the blessings of this life, the way you provide for us and the way you provide for us through our work. And uh, God, you meet us. We are failures without you. Um, God, thank you for your patience with us. Lord, I ask that you would grant us to be a church that joyfully serves you, even in our work and sees the abundance that comes as we serve you, as we see your blessing, and as you provide for our families. God, what a great Sunday to talk about this as we've come to the end of the year. We realize that that was your provision, that the provision that we get uh, in our paycheck, that that's yours, the health and just the ability to do anything, that's from you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless your church. Help us to sort all this out in view of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. You are dismissed. Plenty of snacks over in the fellowship hall. <laughs>